Well, the San Antonio Spurs won the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes, but what does Tuesday's NBA draft lottery mean for college basketball's biggest draft prospects? Let's discuss. You are locked on college basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college basketball show out there, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Andy Patton. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen of the day. And of course, shout out to those everyday listeners who have been checking us out through the NCAA tournament and here into Transfer Portal and now NBA Draft Combine Madness. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college. And when you enter the promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. All right, we got a great show today. We're going to talk about two transfer portal editions, one for Syracuse and one for Kansas to close out the show. We're going to take a look at what has been a really, really solid month of May for Tommy Lloyd and the Arizona Wildcats with some recent additions and a big time player coming back to school next season. But we're going to lead off the show, of course, talking about the biggest news in basketball. On Tuesday, the NBA draft lottery occurred. The San Antonio Spurs landing the number one overall pick for the third time in franchise history. Worked pretty darn well the last two times they had the first pick when they landed David Robinson and Tim Duncan, a pair of all-time great front court players. Did they do it again with Victor Wembanyama? It sure seems like it. Wembanyama has more momentum around him as an NBA draft prospect than we have seen in literally 20 years since LeBron James came out of Akron, Ohio back in 2003. But of course, Wembenyana and the potential number two overall pick, Scoot Henderson, are not college basketball players. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about what the top of this draft might look like and where some potential landing spots might end up for some of these college basketball. A lot of one and done guys who are kind of projected in the five to 15 type range for this draft. So we're going to talk about a few of those guys, but uh, here's a look at the actual order just for anybody who might have missed it or needs a refresher. Of course, San Antonio secured that number one pick. The Charlotte Hornets are going to pick number two. The Portland Trailblazers moved up from their projected fifth spot to all the way up to number three for Damian Lillard and his squad. The Houston Rockets dropped down to four. The Detroit Pistons, one of the teams that kind of suffered the most here, they ended up falling all the way down to number five, followed by Orlando, Indiana, Washington, and Utah rounding out the top ten. Dallas comes in at 11, Orlando again comes in at number 12, Oklahoma City at 13, Toronto next, and New Orleans after that. That is your top half of the first round of the NBA draft and gives you a good idea of the landing spots for many of college basketball's best and most exciting players last year. Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore will end up in that group somewhere. Jarris Walker likely in that group as well. But I think the really big question for this draft is what's going to happen with that second and third spot. Because the biggest conversation, we know Wemby is going first. There's no debate. There's no mystery. There's no question at all. Last year, there was a whole bunch of smoke and mirrors about Bancaro and Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith Jr. And what's going to happen here? There's no mystery this year. There's just not. There never really has been. And there shouldn't be. Wembenyana is an absolute freak. He is an alien. That is why they call him that. There is no real reason to take anybody other than him at number one overall. But Charlotte's got an interesting choice. Because they have LaMelo Ball, a oversized, very, very talented point guard. He's got some injury issues, of course. That's kind of a wrinkle in this conversation. But it's fair to wonder how the fit works 
with Ball and Scoot Henderson. Six foot two guard out of the overtime elite, very, very talented player. I think most would expect that he is the second most talented NBA draft prospect in this class, but he's less of a fit for the Hornets than somebody like Brandon Miller would be. A six foot nine wing, of course, Miller, a guy who we talked about a ton on this podcast throughout the season. Uh, in some cases, for not the best reasons, of course, he had that incident uh, involved in the shooting in Alabama in early January as some of the person who had transported the gun. You know, we, we litigated that situation a ton on this podcast. At the end of the day, Brandon Miller is uh, going to be a high draft pick and the team that drafts him may have to answer some questions about that. But uh, it's one of those things that I think is ultimately going to kind of blow over in time. And Miller is more of a fit for Charlotte. Now, I'll be honest, I have a few concerns about Brandon Miller as like a, a guaranteed, no doubt, top three prospect. I'm also a Blazers fan, so I am accepting that there's a very reasonable chance he ends up in Portland, depending how this all shakes out. He's got some some ball handling questions. His finishing around the rim this year was was quite frankly not that good. And and you you want that skill to be there in college because it's harder to finish around the rim in the NBA. He's a he's a very good outside shooter. He's got the size. The athleticism, he's a menace in transition. I think there's some optimism that he could improve as a defensive player, but I think that there's he's not as slam dunk of a prospect as I think some may have him be. Uh, but I, I could understand why Charlotte might do this, and that puts Portland in an interesting spot as a team that has a six foot one point guard in Damian Lillard, a six foot two combo guard, combo guard in Anthony Simons, and now a guard in Shaden Sharp from last year's draft who looks like a very promising young player for them. Do you add Scoot Henderson in the mix? If so, does that mean you look to trade Damian Lillard? That would be a monumental thing to happen in the NBA. Does that mean you look to trade the pick? knowing that teams are going to be very aggressive trading for number three if they know that Brandon Miller is going off the board or is already off the board at number two. It creates a kind of an interesting dynamic for Portland to to have to navigate here. They're the team that really, I mean, it starts with the, with the Hornets and what they do at two, but Portland's kind of a pretty big hinge here as well in terms of maybe trading a pick to get some more veterans to try to build around Dame for another championship run, maybe potentially doing some different things with that pick as well. We mentioned a couple other guys who are likely going to go in the lottery. I kind of just want to talk about a few spots for them. Again, Wemby and Scoot, and then you have Eamon and Nassar Thompson, the two Thompson twins in the G League. Those guys are all probably going to go in the top six, top eight at, at worst probably. So you're, a lot of your top picks are going to be guys that did not play college basketball next year. But again, Brandon Miller, we already talked about him a lot. There are a handful of other guys that I think are really nice fits for some of the teams that that pick in that range. Cam Whitmore is a guy we spoke about recently with Leaf Tulane here uh, from the Locked On NBA Big Board, and, and Leaf talked about Whitmore's upside being very, very high. And, and I think Indiana is a team that makes a ton of sense here alongside their young core with Halliburton and Ben Matherin and Andrew Nemhard. You add a wing in like, like Cam Whitmore, they pick at seven. So if he's still there for them, I think that'd be a great pick. But Orlando is at six and Detroit's at five. And both those teams could quite honestly use a player like Cam Whitmore as well. So I think he's probably, I'd be shocked if you fell past Indiana shocked. Uh, I think there's a reasonable chance that he is right in that five, six, seven range. Uh, I don't know that he's any higher than that. I'd be very surprised if he was any lower than that. Uh, Jairus Walker is another player that could potentially disrupt the Cam Whitmore situation. Cause I think Walker could very easily go fifth to Detroit, I think he'd be a really nice fit there alongside Jalen Duran and, of course, their young guards and Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Uh, Washington at eight, wonderful fit for Walker. That's, again, assuming he slips that far. I'm not sure that he's going to because I also think Houston, hometown kid, the Rockets, they pick at four. 
they'll have an option to take one or either of the Thompson twins out of the G League if they want to go that route. But they could also take Jairus Walker, keep him at home. He, of course, played for the Cougs last year. Uh, six foot eight power forward. His his testing numbers at the combine have been fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of optimism that he could be a really do it all type forward in the NBA and a guy that I think Houston would be really happy to have. A couple other guys that are kind of in that range that we'll talk about here. Casey Wallace could seem as a nice fit for both Utah or Oklahoma city uh, as teams that could use kind of his, his defensive instincts as the guard and, and his, his big frame uh, to play that position. Anthony black, similar stuff there. Utah would be a really nice fit for him. Dallas alongside Donchick is something I could see just because of his defensive ability to kind of help mitigate some of those defensive issues for Luca, uh, Oklahoma city, another nice fit. If he falls all the way to 12 Taylor Hendricks, another guy that I think would be really good in Dallas if they wanted to take him at 10, I've seen some rumbling already as we're just you know less than 24 hours removed from the nba draft combine or lottery excuse me uh that have taylor hendricks going five to detroit i don't know if the pistons are really that willing to take him all the way up at five but there's a lot of momentum around hendricks the central florida graduate or central florida player and and, and what he can bring keontae george gg jackson are other guys that i think are kind of in that mock dr- or in that lottery mock draft situation George, I've seen Orlando mocked, although I think they have a lot of guards right now, so I'm not sure how he fits there. Toronto at 13 might be a nice fit for Keontae as well. Gigi Jackson, I could see the Pelicans at 14 taking him if he's still around there. He's a player I've seen mocked as low as the second round and as high as fifth, so I think that there's a lot of industry split on where South Carolina's Gigi Jackson ultimately ends up going. A few other guys who I didn't necessarily look at team fits, but who definitely could be in that lottery conversation. Bryce Sensapaw out of Ohio State. Grady Dick from Kansas. Uh, Jordan Hawkins from UConn. Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas. A guy who was projected as high as third before the season started, but injuries really curtailed his lone season with the Hogs. And then Jalen Hood Shafino out of Indiana. All potential lottery type guys as well. We'll have more on the NBA draft lottery and the NBA draft as we get closer and closer to the season. we got about six weeks or so. We'll continue to talk to draft experts as we get closer to that time. For now, though, I want to talk about Tommy Lloyd because Tommy Lloyd and the Arizona Wildcats missed out on Ryan Nembhard. But since then, it has been a lot of good news in Tucson, including the return of Pella Larson for next season. Is it time for his breakout? We'll tell you all about that right after a word from today's sponsor, Bird Dogs. Let me tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bird Dogs. As we move into the summer and short season, I just got a couple of pairs of Bird Dogs for the first time. And legitimately, guys, they are so comfortable. I'm usually just kind of whatever wearing shorts, wear basketball shorts around the house. Uh, But I actually look forward to the days when I'm going to be wearing my Bird Dogs. I love the way they fit. They feel great wearing them. Their stretchy fabric is so comfortable. They're more comfortable than any other short or really any other pants that I have ever worn. And you can wear them in all sorts of environments. I can wear them to work. I can wear them on a date with my wife. I can wear them at home. I can wear them to the pool if I want to. They're genuinely comfortable in any possible setting. It's super practical. It gets really hot in here when I'm recording. Sometimes I record back-to-back-to-back shows, and this room gets like a furnace, but I have these shorts with this comfortable liner. It helps me feel cooler and allows me to focus more on the podcast for you all. So if you want to feel the same, go to birddogs.com slash college, and when you enter the promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they will throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. All right, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or first watch 
of the day as we get into NBA draft season. Uh, tomorrow on the show, we're going to continue to talk about the combine. We're going to talk about the players who are performing well, the players who are maybe not performing well. We also have a great interview coming up that my co-host Isaac did with an incoming college basketball recruit in the class of 2024. So very exciting stuff here to round out this week. But right now, we're going to talk about the Wildcats, the Arizona Wildcats. Those of you who are everyday listeners know that we have made a lot of running jokes about how so many teams are called the Wildcats, but Arizona, that's legitimate. They are the Wildcats. Tommy Lloyd gets a big announcement this month that Pella Larson is returning for the Wildcats. He posted it on Instagram. This is not a real shock. Larson did enter the NBA draft after this last season. I uh, was very productive for Arizona last year. We, For those of you who have been long, long-time everyday listeners, if you listen to the second episode of this podcast, shout out to you. Let us know in the comments. I would love to know if you've been listening since day two. But on day two, of Locked On College Basketball, we did our bold predictions, bold capital B for the upcoming college basketball season. This was in November of last year. One of my bold predictions was that Pella Larson was going to break out and be a all-pack 12 player. That didn't quite happen. It didn't quite happen for Arizona last year for Larson, but you saw the signs. He's a six foot five guard. He averaged about exactly 10 points per game last year, 4.3 rebounds, three assists. He started 18 games, but eventually started coming off the bench and spent the last half of the season, the final 17 games for Arizona coming off the bench. He had been the sixth man of the year in the Pac-12 the previous year and was not eligible for it last year because he started too many games, but was more or less the same Pac-12 sixth man of the year caliber player. Last season shot just under 36% from three and a remarkable 83.5% from the free throw line. Now he's back again. He entered the draft process. He did get invited to the G League combine where many other kind of stay or go players. Uh, Olivier Nakamua is there. Anton Watson is there. Two guys, or what were there, I should say. Those two guys are kind of on that fence of am I staying, am I going. Larson didn't even show up. To the G League Combine, he didn't even go. That was a pretty clear indication that he was not planning on continuing to pursue professional basketball for this season. And shortly after that, he makes his announcement. So now he comes back, and this is big news for Arizona because Arizona loses Azulis to Bellis. He's in the NBA draft process. He's participating in the NBA draft combine right now as we speak. They lose Kirk Creesa, who transferred in the offseason over to West Virginia. They lose Courtney Ramey to graduation. They lose a backup in Adama Ball, who transfers to Santa Clara. So there, there's been some movement, some negative movement for Arizona. Nothing too shocking. Creesa, uh, you know, the fit at Arizona wasn't always quite there. We'll be interested to see how that fit looks at West Virginia. And the initial kind of assumption for Arizona after Creesa entered the portal and then Ryan Nemhard shortly entered the portal afterwards out of Creighton was that Tommy was going to land him. He was the catalyst to recruit Andrew Nemhard to Gonzaga out of Florida. So everybody thought Tommy's going to do it again. He's going to land Ryan. This is going to be how they rebuild. And then Mark Few and Gonzaga said, well, excuse me, we would like the pair here. Actually, we would like to take both of these guys. And they managed to secure a commitment from Ryan Nembhard, which left Arizona sort of scrambling for a point guard. Uh, getting Larson back definitely helps. But of course, the biggest move that Arizona made for their backcourt was securing a commitment from Alabama transfer, Jaden Bradley. We spoke about Bradley a little bit last week, but just as a uh, primer, 6'3 point guard, three years of eligibility remaining, a former top 25 recruit in the class of 2022 he averaged six and a half points three assists and two and a half rebounds last year for the crimson tide in just 20 minutes a game so really productive in a relatively small role 
Still got some efficiency issues. Shot only 40% on two-pointers and only 32% from three. Arizona's got a spread open, wide wide offense, a lot of possessions, a lot of opportunities to score. Hopefully that helps kind of unlock Bradley in a way that I think could could help him be even more productive uh, for potentially the next three years at Arizona. Really nice addition for them there. So you get Bradley back, or you get Bradley, you get Larson back. You have Kylan Boswell, who's going to step into a bigger role for this team next year after playing a reserve role last year. You have Umar Balo back, the Gonzaga transfer. He's back for another year. That's kind of where I expect the starting lineup to be, Balo at the five, Larson at the three, Boswell and Bradley are your backup guards. They still have a bit of a question mark at that power forward position. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do there. Uh, they have a four-star coming in in KJ Lewis in the class of 2023, 78th ranked player in the recruiting class. He's 6'4", so he's not going to play that power forward role necessarily, but another nice addition for them. And then they just picked up Another big, and I mean big, addition in the recruiting class, and that is seven foot two Lithuanian center Matthias Krivas. The Tommy Lloyd to Eastern Europe pipeline is alive and well. It has never really gone away. Gonzaga fans were concerned when Tommy left that they wouldn't be able to recruit internationally. That has not been proven true as they have two international players on their incoming 2023 recruiting class. Uh, and Arizona fans were a little unsure, like, is this going to work at, at here? And, and it has. And Arizona had a, a rich history of international players prior to Tommy arriving. So it seemed like the match was kind of made in heaven in a lot of ways. And, and certainly we have seen Lloyd continue that pipeline. I continue to, to, develop high-level international players like Tubelis, like Balo, who he landed from Gonzaga, uh, and then, of course, bringing in international players like Krivis, keeping international players like Larson. Krivis uh, averaged 14 and 10 for the second-tier Zagiris team in Lithuania. Again, continues this strong pipeline. He's a seven foot two, 260-pound kid. Uh, we'll see if he contributes right away. Obviously, he's probably not going to play over Umar Balo. I doubt they would play both those guys at the same time, but the concerns about Tommy Lloyd after the Ryan Nembhard thing were definitely present. We saw a lot of keyboard warriors who were really upset, thought Tommy's not going to cut it. He can't land this kid. Like, how are we getting out recruited by so-and-so, by Gonzaga? What's going on? And since then, we've seen them land Jaden Bradley, a top 15, 20 recruit in the transfer portal, at least in many different ranking systems. You've seen them land Carter Bryant in the class of 2024. He's a potential top 10 kid in that class when all is said and done i really believe he's that talented they continue to scope out the international market successfully they continue to keep their high level players like pella larson hard for me to be too concerned about this team right now i really think that tommy's got there may be a piece away maybe still got that power forward spot to fill i'm sure that there's some names out there that they're looking at uh, whether they can land the grant nelson which would be a fantastic fit or not remains to be seen but uh, I think if they could find one more veteran guy to fill into that spot uh, and get a bump from some of those younger guys last year, like Boswell, uh, get a bump from Pella Larson, who has said, again, I projected a huge breakout for him. Was I just a year off? We will find out. I'm not sure I'm going to be confident enough to make that exact prediction again for this year's team, but would it shock me if Larson came out average 15 a game as the starting small forward? Absolutely not. It totally would not. If he can keep that three-point shooting consistent, that 36-37 range, there's more opportunities to score without Tubelas, without Creesa in the mix. So I think Arizona's got a good opportunity for Larson to, to step into a big role alongside Balo, alongside Bradley, uh, and, and keep this team afloat as, as one of the top teams in the Pac-12 for another season under Lloyd in Tucson. 
Well, Kansas picked up Christian Brown's brother, Parker, in the NCAA transfer portal. Who is he? What does he add to this Jayhawks roster? We're going to tell you coming up right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on college basketball, still talking about some transfer portal moves here after talking about the NBA draft lottery to start off the show and then Arizona and Pella Larson's return. Now we're going to talk about two different additions to various blue-ish blood programs. Syracuse, I think there's some debate there on whether they are a blue blood, but certainly one of the more premier college basketball programs of the last 40 or 50 years. We'll start with Kansas, though. Kansas adds Parker Braun from Santa Clara, six foot ten center who began his career at Mizzou. That rubs some Jayhawks fans the wrong way, but he hadn't been there for a couple of years for what it's worth. He's, of course, the younger brother of Christian Braun, who is playing for the Denver Nuggets in the NBA playoffs as we speak right now. So it's fun to get the family together. Braun began his career at Mizzou. He was there in 2019-20 and 2020-21. Uh, he only averaged two points and 1.2 rebounds in about 44 games, about seven and a half minutes per night. So it was really just playing garbage time at Mizzou. Never really got consistent minutes there. Ultimately transfers to Santa Clara. Santa Clara has been a very popular school for players to quote unquote, I don't like this phrase, but I'm going to use it. Transfer down to Santa Clara. Brandon Podzimski, of course, did that out of Illinois this past year and had a really, really good season uh, for the Broncos. Braun was one of the first guys to kind of do that in this more modern transfer portal era. He transfers to Santa Clara for two seasons, averages seven and a half points, five and a half boards, two assists in about 30 minutes a night, got very consistent playing time for Santa Clara. He was never really one of their top offensive options in part because of guys like Podzimski, guys like Jalen Williams the year before that, who's killing it in the NBA with the Thunder, even guys like Carlos Stewart, who just recently transferred to LSU. All those guys kind of were more ball dominant players, which left Braun to be more of a rebounder, uh, less of an actual, more of a rim protector, but less of an actual offensive focal point. He did shoot 65% on two pointers during his two years at Santa Clara. So he was a very productive low post scorer. He also shot 28.4% on threes. That's a bit missed leading as he shot 35% in his first year at Santa Clara and only 25% in his second year. So where he kind of falls in that range is part of the question with him. But for Kansas, this makes a ton of sense because as soon as they landed Hunter Dickinson, as soon as he signed the paperwork, they lost Uday and EG4 into the transfer portal. You can't really blame those guys. They thought they were going to compete with each other to be the starting center at Kansas next year. Now they're behind Hunter Dickinson. They're behind KJ Adams. And they just felt like I want to go somewhere else to see if I can kind of boost my career in a different spot. EG4 ends up at St. John's. Uday has not committed anywhere yet. Uh, but for Braun, he just settles directly into that backup center role. He's not going to play very much. I mean, if we're being completely honest with you, I mean, he played 29 minutes a game at Santa Clara. He's going to play less than half that. He might play less than a third of that. Like, if we're being honest, he might play eight, seven, eight, ten minutes a game. Like, this might not look dramatically different from the playing time that he had at Mizzou, although I think he'll play closer to every game. I just think it's going to be come in for a few minutes, spell Hunter before halftime. Maybe he's in foul trouble. We just needs a body out there for a four minute stretch uh, because Bill Self's also willing to go small and start KJ Adams at the five. Like he has no problem doing that if Dickinson's not on the floor. So Braun is kind of more of an emergency option at that spot. But if he can come in, knock down a few open threes, block a few shots, not get pushed around too much in the big 12, I think you're going to be more than happy with, with getting to bring him in. He's not his brother. Kansas fans listening to this who are expecting him to break out like his brother did. It's not going to happen, but he can be a very solid backup, low usage role player for a team that has legitimate NCAA championship aspirations.
Finally, closing out the show here, talking about Nakeem McCloyd going to Syracuse from Florida State. This is a big addition, quite literally, for the Orange. He is seven foot four. He began his career as a junior college player, spent the last two years at Florida State with the Knolls. He is big and he can block shots, and there's not a ton else to his game right now. Uh, in two years with the Seminoles, he averaged 4.1 points, two and a half boards, and just under a block. That was in 12 minutes per game. He started a handful of games. He just plays a very limited role, uh, just not a lot of minutes per game. He blocks shots. He can score a little bit around the rim. He had a lot of suitors when he ended transfer portal. Gonzaga was in on him in part because they hired a new assistant coach, R.J. Barsh, who began his or who was at Florida Florida State last year with McCloyd, so there's a connection there. Uh, but he ultimately ends up landing at Syracuse. The Cuse, uh, of course, needed to replace Jesse Edwards, who transferred to West Virginia this offseason. He was their starting center and rim protector for the last couple of years. So they go and find McCloyd, a guy who I think can give them good, solid minutes. Maybe he starts, maybe he comes off the bench. Uh, he joins a recruiting class or a transfer portal class that started with J.J. Starling out of Notre Dame. They also landed Chance Westry out of Auburn. And now they get a solid rim protector in McCloy. I think this is a good fit at Syracuse. It'll be fun to see what Red Autry can do with a relatively new look team coming in. And of course, the first year, somebody not named Jim Beheim is coaching the Orange since Gerald Ford was the president in the 70s. It has been a very long time since we've seen a new look at Syracuse. So seeing new players coming in there makes it even more interesting to see how this might shake out for them in the first year of the post Beheim era. Well, folks, that is going to do it for us today. we got tons of NBA draft combine stuff coming your way. We're going to look at the scrimmages. We're going to look at the testing, the agility, the numbers, what it means for players. Are they staying? Are they going? Uh, all of that good stuff coming your way later this week. We're also going to have that very fun interview with a 2024 incoming recruit and what that recruiting process has been like for him. All that coming your way this week on Locked On College Basketball. If you don't want to miss it, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Find us on any podcast platform that already exists. Follow me on Twitter if you have not done so yet. Uh, again, tons of fun stuff coming your way later this week on Locked On College Basketball. For now, though, peace out.